2: It's the Mirror Football Podcast with me, Sam at face, and Big Tom, the producer. How are you, okay? Yeah, good, you? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, an abnormal week in the Russian capital as two Red Armies descend on Moscow for a competition that Arsene Wenger is well and truly bored with now. I wonder why that is. Uh, we look at the prospects in the Champions League of the British clubs, hear why Klopp is going cranky, and look back at Bobby's Madly moments. October is manager firing season, and we've got news of who's under the most scrutiny. We talk Everton and their need to forget a bad start. Ask if Maratta is really better than Harry Kane. And question the wisdom of Wilfred Bonney, wearing a right-backs jersey. It's all on the Mirror Football Podcast.
1: The Mirror Football
2: Podcast. Yeah, Big Tom and John Cross, the chief sports writer from the Mirror in the pod first up. I've got a particular B in my bonnet about wearing the, the, the wrong number shirt. I mean, look... We stuck this out on social media and um, we would re- welcome many more recollections at Stay On Your Feet. We've got some belting examples and explanations on the way. But it started with Wilfred Bonney. Now, mm. why is he wearing a full-backs jersey, number two? What, what is that all about? He's a forward. If you're a forward, you wear nine... You wear ten, you maybe wear nineteen or something like that, something north of that. But you don't wear two or three. Asamoah Jean used to wear three for Ghana. It's ridiculous. I think you, you want to preserve the kind of holy one to eleven, don't you? you I don't want to preserve that one to eleven, but I do want a little bit of respect for the way we, a little we, bit we of respect. we, we <laughs> numerise our football positions. You don't have listen. It's just people that are wearing number one, like and playing in midfield. That's just ludicrous. That's a goalkeeper's shirt. What are you doing?
3: I get what you mean, and it looks odd. I think players should be able to express whatever they want because sometimes numbers have special meaning if it's the birth of a child or something like that. But if you're good enough, <laughs> yeah, maybe. But if you're good enough, the number doesn't matter. If, if Bunny had scored a hat trick of the weekend, we wouldn't be talking about his number. Would yeah, but he be- finished like a fullback, and he's wearing a fullback's number, which is <laughs> a bit of an issue. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's kind of come to the fore. But zero, I have a problem with zero. But apart from that, you wear anything from one to ninety-nine for me. Uh,
2: let's speak to uh, John Cross uh, from the Mirror. Hello, John. You're right, yeah.
4: Very good morning to you guys. Nice to be with you.
2: You're in uh, Moscow, aren't you?
4: Yes, I am. Yes, and I'm actually outside the Luzneki Stadium in Moscow, which I think is going to host one of the semi finals and the final of, of the World Cup next summer. So, uh, just about to go and have a little look around that actually. So, doing my sightseeing a little bit, and uh, it'll be interesting to actually. I love. I love coming to Russia. I think it's a fascinating country. So, so I'm quite excited ahead of the Champions League header and also the World Cup next year.
2: Because Liverpool and Manchester United are both in Moscow this week. And uh, the RFU security chief, Vladimir Markin, warned yesterday that any problems between those fans or anybody else uh, would uh, result in suitable punishment, possibly in the form of a long stay in Russia in conditions our guests won't like. Now, I know that you're a law abiding citizen, um, which is why you like Russia so much. But for those who sometimes stray, it's a little bit of a worry, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I do think they have to be uh, very uh, sort of clear on hooliganism. On and I think obviously that's something that they really want to send out a message on simply because of the trouble uh, I think that you saw in Euro 2016. Um, And I must say, when I arrived at the airport yesterday on Monday lunchtime, it was um, incredibly noticeable just how strong the uh, police and army presence was. And look, we've got history between these two clubs, haven't we? I mean, I, I think the police are also making the point that these two games are played at two different stadiums. They're quite some distance apart. But basically, I do think it has got potential, this. I mean, it's a strange situation where you've got two of the fiercest rivals in English football playing in the foreign city in in the same week. So uh, I do think it's uh, it's kind of you know very important. Uh, I think the Russians get their message out there.
3: It's an odd one, isn't it? A United friend of mine it went to the Champions League out there, and he was greeted with a Kalashnikov as soon as he came off the plane, and they were kind of ushered into the stadium. Are there any kind of are there any fan zones, or is it literally like a kind of military school trip that they're going to be off the plane and ushered
4: into the stadium and back again? <laughs> no, it, well I think we're making our own way. Actually, I was lucky enough to come out on the Liverpool press trip and so you immediately come through through the stadium with a lot of, you know, we travelled out actually on a plane separate from the team but the academy team was on it and and Stephen Gerrard was on it and uh, sort of kind of coming through the airport you you know, you're greeted with a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of excitement but um, you do make your own way around actually and I must say, it's one of those places where I always wanted to go Sort of when I was a bit younger, and so kind of you know, done the whole tourism bit now. But it's, uh, but it's an interesting, interesting city, and I do think they are desperate to make an impression. Um, ahead of the World Cup next year.
2: We're talking to people that are desperate to uh, make an impression. Loris Karius will be desperate to make an impression to, in the game uh, against Spartak Moscow. Jurgen Klopp says he's going to play him in this match. Why can't he stick with one goalkeeper? I can't see this being a good thing for any team, let alone a team with a back line that makes more errors than a White House press release. Seriously, this chopping and changing, it's got to have an effect on the defence. They don't have a chance to build a relationship with a goalkeeper.
4: I don't like it. I don't think goalkeepers like it, and it wouldn't be my choice. I think you have a goalkeeper. How can possibly say that the Champions League is in any way different from the Premier League? And I think that that's bizarre. And I think that the sort of the way you could prioritise in any single way, um, I, th- I think, it's absolutely he's very, very strange. I must say, well, you lose the rhythm. I think, don't you? I mean, you know, various clubs do it. If Barcelona do it. Um, Arsenal do it. Um, and and now obviously Liverpool do. Look, I, I my reading of this one is that, that, that basically long term um, uh, Klopp I think wants Caris. He signed Caris. He wants to bring in Caris, and he still has their faith in Caris. I, I, I actually, I mean, a few of us saw Caris separately, away from sort of the, the sort of you know, um, and and it was interesting sort of hearing talk and kind of seeing um, you know a sort of kind of it aids you to confidence and that confidence hasn't been it by what happened last season. In fact, actually, he's on sort of defensive and on sort of the attack about it, really. Sort of saying, look, I wasn't fully fit at that time. That impinged upon my performances and performance levels.
2: I, I think you, as a Liverpool fan, must be sort of slightly confused about this. You can't like this. So Mignolet missed his punch for the first goal over the weekend, gave away a penalty, then saved it, obviously. But this is an area that Klopp
3: has, has never really been happy with. Why hasn't he sorted it out yet? I think the the problem is, from the outside... It looks like, not just the manager of a football club, but any manager of any business, it looks like he's trying to please two people. And as a manager, you shouldn't be trying to please people. You should be selecting the best person for that job at the time.
2: But he's crazy happy, cool German Klopp.
3: Well, I, I'm certainly not a Klopp critic, and some of the critics out there are absolutely mad. I'm a, I'm a big Klopp fan, but he's not got the goalkeeper or the defence situation right. I think he will probably he'd have to admit that. He didn't do himself any favors by switching the whole um, defence and goalkeeping lineup after game week one, um, and I think it's gone from there. Really, it's it, and it does kind of it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help him and the perception that he's trying to please everyone. It doesn't help a prospective keeper in Danny Ward. We spoke about how he could have saved ten penalties in the League Cup last week, and it wouldn't have got him a place in the starting lineup for anywhere. So there's still uncertainty. I think is a good keeper, but again. Because he makes of, mistakes, though, doesn't he? He, does he makes, make mistakes, He, he yeah. comes out a little bit rashly. Uh, yeah. John, he's no longer Mr.
2: Cool, uh Jürgen Klopp, though, is he? He's starting to feel a little bit of pressure, and sometimes, you know, you, you get away with things because of the way you carry yourself and the way you engage with the media, but all of a sudden, it started to turn a little bit, and the critics have started to come for him, and he does not like it.
4: No, he doesn't. He, he's been a bit tetchy. Um, I still like him. I, th- I do think he's very engaging, very humorous, and... Uh, but I do think that the questions, there's nothing that annoys them more is about the question of the defence and the questions about the defence. But it's rubbish, is, John, isn't it? It's a, it's a, a rubbish, rubbish defence. Well, I don't say it's rubbish. I mean, I don't think it's the defence, if I'm honest. I think it's more about the fact of the way the team sets up. When they signed Alex oxlade chamberlain he basically was asked where do you see him playing? And basically he said, I see him as one of our two number eights. We play with the two number eights. And that's exactly it. I know we'll come on and squad numbers later. <laughs> um, but basically he he's saying effectively, isn't it, that we are playing with two attack-minded central midfielders in front of the back four. And basically he doesn't have a traditional holder at the club, in my view. I like, I, like, I like Jürgen Klopp and I like him probably even
2: more now the fact that he's using the positions and in the right way he's identifying with the numbers I like that that's good
3: um, but he's, min- he's not though because every time Oxlade-Chamberlain's come on he's played as a winger so that's, that's not working either
2: um, Manchester United got a different tasks on Saturday a bit of back to the walls for the last 20 minutes um, but they're going into the Champions League with that sort of team ethic behind them um, we touched on that last week in the pod um, when you sit and watch the work rate of the likes of Rashford Mkhitaryan and Valencia Under Herrera, uh, when he came onto the the pitch in the second half, everyone is on board. Everyone seems to be working for the common goal, and that can only be good for for Jose Mourinho, can't it?
4: Absolutely. I I was at the game Saturday, and I do think that the United weren't at their exceptional best. I thought once they'd scored, I thought, oh, here we go. They're going to go and win the game, usually. Uh, they didn't do that in the second half, they're a little bit flat, but one thing they were, they were resilient, as you say. I think Matich protects that back forward, doesn't it? I love that partnership we you know between James and Baye. I think that's a really good one, and I think Bay is just one of the most underrated, under kind of appreciated defenders in, in the Premier League. When you sign a defender, um, I think they're kind of the, the best compliment you can make is if he's a bigger rival as Bayern obviously was for an excess of thirty million pounds. He was barely talked about last season. And the reason he was barely talked about last season was he wasn't making mistakes. Honestly I think he's terrific. He's got, you know, he's combative, he's got he's got strength, he's got power, he's got pace, and he is I think an exceptional defender. And I think he um you know he is he is a really good player. And he epitomizes to me the United team strength and team ethic, and I think that's really strong.
3: I, I agree with you, John. I, I do rate Bailly, but what, what about that other expensive Man United defender, Lindelof? What's happened to him? He seemed to be the forgotten man, but he, he came for a fair, fair amount of money, didn't he?
4: He did, yeah, but I think that's the problem, In it? I mean, I wouldn't say it's a major problem. If you've got two defenders playing well, the new boy can't get in. I think you'll get game time because there's bound to be injuries and setbacks. It's interesting, isn't it? The basic, when he makes a change from the bench, you often bring on Smalling. Mm. And so it's basically, you'd even argue at the moment, if Smalling the head of Lindelof? But yeah. I think Smalling is possibly, you know, sort of, you know, excess to demand, if you, if you like, him somewhere. I think they might have let him go if they'd had a big offer for him. But I think actually, fair play to Smalling, he's dug in and try to really sort of kind of, you know, make his point and kind of, you know, keep
2: him with the team. Well, Romelu Lukaku has handled himself well during uh, Chant Gate, and Mourinho said he was surprised by the lightning start that he's made. This guy's got 10 starts for club and country since the beginning of the season. He's scored 12 goals. Are you surprised just how well he started in Manchester United colours? Because he's been damn impressive.
4: See, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm purely and simply purely from the point of view of how many goals he's scored and how prolific he's been. I think he's been absolutely fantastic in that regard. And so I do think that that's the, that's the thing for me. Um, but I always expected him to be a success because he's League ready.
2: Uh, Arsene Wenger's had a swipe at the uh, Champions League. He said that um, it bores him now. It's not got the allure uh, that it used to have. Is that because Arsenal aren't in it? Is he just is he just throwing out some sour grapes there, John?
4: Yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? I think a bit of sour grapes he'd love to be in not it? Um, I, do, I do think he's got a point. Um and I just think that if I were him, I wouldn't have said it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> he looks a bit stupid. Some of those, oh, the timing is daft, isn't it? Because basically we've, we've immediately got people like, like ourselves kind of sort of saying, oh, it's our great." Well, it does come across like that.
3: Yeah, I, I love the Champions League. I think it's brilliant. I think he sounds ridiculous. I think he sounds like an unrequited lover who then says, oh, well, I didn't fancy her anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, City uh, have won seven of their first uh, eight they're playing Shakhtar tonight Tottenham got an eminently winnable game against Nicosia despite injuries Chelsea United uh, play tomorrow Um, it should be a a good week of Champions League football I think Uh, as the chief football writer of uh, the Mirror you've had to deal with the fallout from the Mark Sampson affair and what has been your take on it because it hasn't been a great week for women's football obviously we've had the any Aluko s- scandal, which has been going on for a very, very long time now... And then this new incident has come up. He's now been sacked. The FA haven't explained exactly why he's been sacked. We're supposed to just take it on good faith that, that, that they've made the right decision, despite the fact that they hastily arranged a press conference and only gave sports journalists two hours to get there. Um, and they kept him in charge for a game because they hadn't crossed the T's and dotted the I's. All seemed a bit rushed and hasty.
4: It, it was a bit, really. Um, I actually only had 55 minutes to get from where I live to Wembley, and I managed it in half an hour, so I hadn't had not bad. Well, well best, done! fantastic <laughs>
2: effort were you on a bike or how did, how did you do it what, did, what was your mode of transport
4: <laughs> no no in the car in the car actually I live in North London see I bet you used you to know, wear
2: number you 7 you were definitely way. you were definitely a speedy winger <laughs> that's 11 surely <laughs> <But> <laughs> if he's <yeah>, left footed
4: <laughs> I, I, I do think, <laughs> I, look, I think I think some of it has been an really embarrassment I, I think mm. the pressure has been on, on Martin clearly, clear and I think it was interesting on Monday wasn't it that they gave him the vote of confidence um, i think the board are resolutely behind him even though the public backlash i think the public plan is always for someone's head to roll and for someone to, to take ultimate responsibility um and i think that 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 is an issue i think um look i think it's been a highly embarrassing affair really and i think that that's that. i don't know that it's martin Grimm's mistake now i think it was martin Grimm's mistake initially when he claiming not to take more notice of the safeguarding report when he was initially made aware of it i don't understand if i'm honest why and you know i know i've seen the explanations i was there for the press conference but i've still not been satisfied why it wasn't a suckable offense then but it is now Mm. i just don't I, i can't understand that you know i don't think that kind of you know that hasn't really been you know, sort of, kind of, ever cleared up, and I think that's a huge disappointment.
2: Okay, um, moving on from that, and uh, talking about uh, squad numbers, squad number examples. What have you got for us?
4: Well, uh, the 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 one that always sticks out for me. I don't really remember this, but I think it was 1982 World Cup was Ozil number one because I think they went numerical.
5: <laughs> really? Yeah, they oh, went wow. alphabetical, didn't um,
4: they? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, alphabetical. I should say not numerical, but it was, um that 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 was a strange one. I also think Morgan Schneider number two. That, that's an odd one. Yeah. And the, it also, I mean, Pet- Petr Cech, 33, when he's clearly number one. I mean, that, that that's an odd one. Um, there's
2: a, a few quick stories to tell you about numbers, <laughs> if you've got a couple of seconds there, John. Uh, Milan Barros wore five at mm. uh, Liverpool. Edgar Davis says Joe Shaughnessy wore the number one jersey when he was at Barnet because he was the player manager. What an idiot. Um, Jonathan de Guzman signed cool. for Kievo and
3: he's wearing number one. We've got a tweet of that, actually. The worst thing about that isn't the number, it's the font. The it's the font in, on the shirt. yes.
2: It's in you some sort of Spanish
3: Armada-era font, which is just
2: absurd. Uh, my favourite tweet, actually, from Darren Black, who said, Harry Winks really should wear 40.
3: Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> 40 Winks. Darren, you didn't. I love that. Oh, no. uh, you've got a great story about Clint Dempsey. Well, Clint, I didn't know this, but Clint Dempsey apparently um, goes by the moniker of The Deuce. His rapper name... Is the deuce and that? sorry, his rapper name. He's, what, what do you mean? He's got a, a, a kind of rapping career that goes alongside so his so he has profession. an alter ego. <laughs> well, apparently, so Clint the deuce Dempsey, and that's why he always preferred the number two at, at Fulham and uh, Seattle Sounders or whatever they're called. It's uh, <laughs> It's, it's not good it's not good I'm going to end it it's uh, that sounds like terrible rap music well it, it is but that, that's probably a, not a good reason for why you chose number two but did people talk about it I didn't know that story because Clint Dempsey did the job for Fulham didn't he so who cares it was, it was a shame actually because uh, John will, will tell you that would have been a cracking feature
2: John thank you very much no, no
4: worries everybody.
1: follow us on Facebook on Twitter and Instagram this is the Mirror Football Podcast
2: It's time for Big Tom's Big News. It's the section of the programme where we give you something a little bit enlightening, something a bit different. You might not have read it or seen it, or maybe you might not get the retweets that you might expect from some of the stories that are doing the rounds in football. But this is
3: important. What you got for us this week? Well, this has been in the news a lot, but this week's big news is about the silence of Premier League footballers when it comes to political issues. Mm. Recently, the best basketball player on the planet, LeBron James, called Donald Trump a bum for withdrawing an annual invitation to the NBA champions, who's la- who last year were the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Uh, players such as Stephen Curry, Stephen Curry had already decided to boycott the visit, which prompted the withdrawal in the first place. Um, but also NFL players recently have been uh, using their profile to show their dissent against uh, it was, government.
2: It was massive this weekend. Mm. I mean, it was huge this weekend. and uh, All up and down the NFL, the P- Pittsburgh Steelers didn't even come out of the locker room
3: for the national anthem. Um, oh, really? That's yeah. interesting because their NHL team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, have accepted their um, invitation to the White House and Donald Trump made a big thing about that. So a bit of a, a departing of ways in Pittsburgh right now. But um, but anyway, the the point is arguably the highest profile sports anchor on British TV, Gary Lineker, offers an almost daily dissenting voice against social injustice. But But where are the current players? Domestic and foreign players in the Premier League have such vast followings on social media and a significant influence. But
2: but why do you want the the players to, I
3: mean, just playing devil's advocate, why do you want them to comment on social and geopolitical issues? I don't want them necessarily, but I think players like LeBron James have showed that if they've got that level of influence there, then it could be another voice that could add maybe more pressure on those people in power because of they, they know how influential that they are in the community. Does
2: it, do you think it shows that, that the Premier League players in particular are more image conscious and therefore knowing that some of these issues are quite divisive? I mean, listen, I think it's pretty obvious that um, most people think that the, the way that some of the big issues in America have been discussed... We we, we we certainly would side with, with some of the stances that have been taken especially over the weekend however
3: um, do, do Premier League players think oh, that's just territory I don't want to get involved in well it's interesting isn't it I mean I I think that actually I'm not blaming the Premier League players in this I think they're hamstrung by the FA and their relationship with the players and the Premier League and their relationship with the players because they're frightened to advocate for something but actually in, in the NBA, their league openly encourages uh, work in the community and a social voice. They they have got a mission statement that encourages that. So, I mean, a lot of people might say um, it's a lack of education or some say it's a reflection of disinterest, but I, I actually think it's got a lot more to do with how players feel inhibited to, to give their opinion about social issues, whereas LeBron James has consistently shown that social media can be used for more than just banter. Who I mean, Premier League players have got have got the band to the comedy signed down, especially newcomers like Benjamin Mendy. He's brilliant. brilliant. He's absolutely superb on social media. Absolutely brilliant. But if we get the number of retweets and likes for the, his excellent comedy and his his insights into what happens behind the scenes at Man City as to what's happening behind the scenes or what's happening in society, um, I think that influence could be used for a lot better things. I
2: just wonder whether or not when a big issue does happen in mm. this country, we might see someone take a stand. I mean, some might say that actually recently with the Samson issue and I know that he has denied the comments uh, that he made, allegedly to uh, Enioluko, but you you would have thought that maybe some more players might have come out on social media and said, hold on a second, this is something we can't
3: tolerate in the
2: game. That, that that in particular to me, I would have thought I would have seen more about.
3: I, I agree, but I think that, again, players were hamstrung there because the FA wouldn't release details. There's no details. Yeah. It's difficult to make a judgment And there's about no that. definitive judgment now Absolutely. because the guy's been sacked before yeah. the investigation has come to an end. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of political issues that they could get... Uh interested in or vocal about in this country right now okay more big toms big news on the way next
1: week on the go on your phone on the website the Mirror Football Podcast.
2: Well, I woke up yesterday to three notifications on my phone. Mm. Oldham had parted company with John Sheridan. Uh, Jim McIntyre had left Ross County and Aidy Pennock had been sacked by uh, Gillingham. Peter Taylor actually is uh, back in charge there. He's the director okay. of football and he stepped up in, uh, in the interim. Not the highest profile casualties, that's for sure, but it's that time of the year when chairmen up and down the country start to sharpen the axe, the international break, in October is, without doubt, sacking season. Neil Moxley is the chief sports reporter for the Sunday People. How are you, Neil? you OK?
6: Morning, guys. Brilliant. It's a fantastic uh, autumn morning, So, and we've got some football to look forward to tonight, so that's... Uh that's a perfect day,
2: really. Absolutely. And Slav and Bilic under pressure. kuman got a win. Palic have switched their manager, but still vying for the tag of the worst team in Premier League history. Um, who do you think is in the, the red zone here? Because this is the kind of time of the year where people start to think, I've got to make a change before it gets uh, too hot. I mean, Roy, obviously, Roy Hodgson's already been installed yeah. as the new Crystal Palace manager, but there are others who people were starting to look at.
6: Yeah, I mean... If you look at uh, Slavin Bilic, Sam, I think um, well, I think you've got to look behind Slavin Bilic, really. That's the key to West Ham. Uh, I've got personal experience over uh, 15 or 16 years of dealing with uh, David Sullivan and David Gold. And what history tells us is two things, really. One, that leopards don't, don't change their spots. And two, is if you look back at the, um, their, their tenure at uh, West Ham so far, and also at Birmingham City, where they were previously owners of the football club, you'll see that they don't they're not sacking people. They don't like to reward people for failure, which is the top and bottom of, um, of the way that David Sullivan and David Gold have operated their football clubs. Um, now, that's not to say for a second that Slaven Bilic is, um, is bulletproof. Uh, no manager in football is. Um, but I do think that they will give Slaven Bilic every single opportunity they can to ride out this little bit of a a storm and see how everything settles
2: down. They do look tactically all over the place though, don't they West Ham? If you think that before the game everyone was craving the arrival of Andy Carroll that had two solid matches with him in the team, they mm. decided to leave him on the bench for the game against Tottenham Hotspur, they lost Antonio uh, who he had bought in on the right hand side to injury really early on and then all of a sudden they decided instead of you know going with the same system he, he ripped up the plan, put Carroll on, moved Chicharito out to the wing position. Carroll okay. ended up making two mistakes. They gave away two goals, and it was all over. I mean, he can't do right for doing wrong at the moment, which is a bit of an issue.
6: Yeah, listen, I, I, I'm not here to defend Slaven Bilic's um, select team selection on uh, on Saturday. You know, he's perfectly capable of doing that himself. Well, what I would say is that my my personal opinion is that Andy Carroll presents whichever manager he plays for with with a problem because of his injury record. Uh, I don't think it's any. I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, that Andy Carroll on on his day is a handful for pretty much any defence on the planet. You know, he's a very tall man, a very powerful man, who's very good in the air, and those those things combined make one. And he also knows that, you know the way to to find a to find a goal. Those things combined make him a you know make him the reason why Liverpool spent thirty odd million on him, make him the reason why he's been the forecramer at, at you know West Ham. But the problem is for any manager with Carroll, in my opinion, is that his injury record precludes you know a, a sense of uh, continuity. Now, I don't know why Bilich, you know, dropped in, That seems that did seem to me a, to be a wrong call before kick off, and it's very easy for us to sit here after after the event and say you got it wrong.
2: I, I know that you um, have got good experiences, and you've, you've spent a lot of time with uh, Sullivan and Gold over the course of the year because of your role. Uh, at Birmingham, but I always feel that Slaven Bilic, maybe because of the support, is in an incredibly difficult position because he lives with that axe hanging over him all the time, and, and, and every match seems to be like a footballing version of the Hunger Games. It, it can't. <laughs> It, it can't be It can't be a good thing, right? I, yeah. Should West Ham maybe adopt the philosophy of Watford and Southampton where they've got like the continuity provided by a director of football and the manager and the head coach is, is basically a switchable position and he's kept on his toes knowing that they aren't afraid to make a change and they give people short-term contracts as a result of that. Maybe that might be a recipe for success for West Ham.
6: Yeah, I hear, I hear what you're saying, Sam. I'll say two things. There are some football clubs in the Premier League um, who operate with chairman um, that would continue Consider themselves to sort of occupy that role. Um, I know from, like I say, from dealing with, with uh, David Tullerman and David Gold, that you know a Rothmans was never too far in his early days. A Rothmans was never too far away from. The, <laughs> not the cigarette, the book. Yeah, was, yeah, um, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, what's it now of, called? It's, it's
2: the Sky Sports Football it's Annual Sky, now, isn't it?
6: It is the Sky Sports Football Annual, and I'd like to thank them for sending me my copy of this at the start of this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't get dry. one. I <laughs> There are some. There are some owners that see themselves as directors of, you know, quasi-directors of football. Sullivan's, you know, would 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 have his own opinions on things. And uh, Hugh Jenkins, for instance, at Swansea City is another. I don't think I'm stepping out of line too much to say that yeah. he would have, you know, pretty pretty strong views on what they what the club football club actually needed. Um, so whether and the second thing I would say is I'm not entirely convinced that director of football really is uh, is anything other than a bit of a.
0: Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent ACAST app or wherever else you get your podcasts. ACAST is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Cop out. Um, you know, it's almost as if they get a say on which players come in and never get any of the responsibility. Um, I'm still not totally convinced in this country that that's the way you know it should operate. Um,
2: Michael Emanalo.
6: <laughs> well, there is that. There is that as a yeah, as a, as a case as a case for that. You know, for the. Uh... For the effect, I mean, and you know, and uh, against what I've just said, that's absolutely correct, but you know, I mean, he's yeah, but he, he, he should at, get let's, stick, let's, shouldn't
2: he? He should get stick because he buys terrible players. This is a guy who bought Baba Rachman for over 25 million quid. This guy's played about three games, was absolutely awful, um, and then was sent on loan somewhere. Now he can't get a move anywhere because he's not fit enough for anything. <laughs> And then you've got the Quadraro situation. The fact that they sold Kevin De Bruyne for about fifty p. Uh, they got rid of um, uh, Lukaku. I mean, you know, seriously. Okay, he's had some successes every now and again, but his his position, especially amongst Chelsea mm-hmm. fans, is certainly under scrutiny. Yeah,
6: I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, Chelsea's model um, uh, has been you know has been given some criticism. But if you look at that, if you look at the fact that they've utilised the um, loan system to the nth degree, um, they've pretty much paid for a lot of the. A lot of the signings that they've made. Uh, there was, pro- I know, people will say, you know, uh, De Bruyne they got rid of, but they they sold him on for a profit. Lukaku they got rid of, but they sold him on for a profit. And and they just weren't ready at that time to take, you know, to step up into the first team. So they decided to cut the losses and, and go elsewhere. And if you look at the likes of Kurt Zouma, who's gone to Stoke City, I think again, um, Chelsea have pocketed a rather handsome uh, loan fee, somewhere between five to seven million pounds for him for the season. So. You know, it swings and roundabouts, but this is a purely personal opinion. I'm just not convinced that the model of directors of football work because I just don't see them taking responsibility for the signings that they make.
3: One club that certainly has invested in their manager, both in terms of the faith and financially, is is Everton and Ronald Koeman. Um, What what, what do you think is going on there? Because they've they've put a lot... Of faith in Tim, they've given him a lot of money to spend. Hasn't really replaced that forty percent of Premier League goals in Romelu Lukaku. But um, what's going on there? Do you think at Everton?
6: I, th- I think that's it in a nutshell. Um, you know, I wrote a story at the weekend in the Sunday Mirror that Cummins uh, going to go back in for Giroud uh, uh, at uh, Olivier Giroud Arsenal in the new year. Um, and I was led to believe that uh, you know when I was before as I was getting the uh, getting the bits and pieces together for that story that that particular signing was far, far further down the line than most people had thought. And it potentially explains why Koeman, um didn't have a plan B in place when uh, the window was closing. Um, in as much as there was so much going on at Arsenal uh, with respect to Alexi, Alexis Sanchez's future and Giroud's, that Wenger could, Arsene Wenger could not be seen to be allowing both out of the football club at the same time, because even though it would have swelled Arsenal's coffers by over it, Hundred million pounds. It would also have left him fairly, uh, fairly short in the striking department. Mm. With you know, with the clock ticking down himself. So it's sort of the jigsaw pieces sort of f- fit together on that one. And like you say, if you take forty percent of a team's goals out, of, you know, out of it at any one stage, then you need to re- you need to replace them. Um, and that's the top and bottom of it. I think um, I do think eventually that Everton fans will see the best out of signings such as Jordan Pickford. And Michael Keane, I'm not so sure about Davy Klassen. He looks a little bit lightweight to me. Sigurdsson's a proven, uh, proven talent. Again, it's it's a little bit like um, a little bit like West Ham, but not to the same extent. As much as I think Cooman, is sort of searching around really for his um, for his best formation. He's
2: been given a bit of breathing space, hasn't he? Because of that win at the weekend, helped out by a player that he didn't really want. But uh, after the start that they had he's got to start winning week in, week out. And that means on Thursday in the Europa League because they had a setback in their first game against Atalanta they were absolutely the- savaged in that game. Yeah. I did that game for ITV and yeah. I cannot believe how bad they were over that 90 In the first 45 minutes, they were an absolute shambles. They really were. And yeah. Everton fans have been critical of some of the tactics that he's employed. But what hurts them more is that, that they believe they've got young players who can do a better job than some of those that he has brought in. They, they look at Tom Davis. They look at John Joe Kenny. They, you know, they think, why are you not playing John Joe Kenny instead of Cuco Martina? Yeah. Um, but the fact is, I suppose you can't, Always throw them in at once. You've got Calvert Lewin, you've got Holgate, you've got new players like Clasen and Sigurdsson, who you mentioned. You can't flood your eleven with youngsters, I suppose.
6: No, I think it's worth pointing out as well, uh, Sam, that you, you know the person that gave the likes of Tom Davis a debut last year was, you know, was Koeman. You know, he was prepared when when others weren't to sort of throw these uh, throw these kids into the firing line. And he bat, you know he backed them by playing in, in big Premier Leagues, such as the one against Manchester City where Davies scored that um, scored that goal. Sensational. You know, yeah, it was you know it was a fancy you know fancy, and we're all looking at him thinking you know he, he's one for one for the future, and, and and thank Lord, he's English as well, so that that bodes well.
2: Well, Umar on the ass is getting a club suit at last, um, so that's good news. <laughs> he's too. He's too <laughs> His two goals are getting tongues wagging. Um, he, he wasn't allowed a locker last year and, and he wasn't allowed a club suit this year. So, you know, he's being rewarded for those two. I mean, you've got to earn your right to play in the team and he's, he's certainly done that. So, well done to him. I and mean, maybe it could be the answer to Kuman's issues in that position uh, until convince his Giroud to join him in January, in which case he'll be out again and he'll have to clear out his locker and make <laughs> uh, and make some space for uh, Olivier Giroud's brill cream.
3: Yeah. Uh, Eddie Howe always comes across well, um, but... Their record is looking a bit worried at the moment. Uh, lost five of the, of the first six. Uh, he's insisted they won't change, and a, a style that he's got a lot of plaudits for, um, and it's admirable to ring games in the right way. But is he going to come under a bit more scrutiny given that form?
6: Well, of course he will. I mean, it's inevitable in the Premier League the, these days um, with the amount of uh, exposure that uh, the, top, the, the mani- all managers are under, and uh, Eddie has n- not immune to it. Despite the fact you know everybody in the game. Um, Except he's done a wonderful job, and he's done it in the right way by trying to play attractive football. Um, I, th- I would say one thing, um, Sam. We've looked at um, you know Arsenal in the last couple of weeks, um, and they've kept two clean sheets, which is um, you know in the Premier League, which is you know they've never. I don't know when the last time they did that was. But um, Arsene Wenger's clearly gone back to basics in terms of getting himself organised. I just wonder whether or not. You can um, you could never accuse Arsenal of not being anything other than entertaining, and I just wonder whether Eddie Howe might have to look at uh, the way he sets his team up and mm-hmm. just become a little bit more difficult to uh, to score against before he goes on the on, he goes all out on the front foot again. And uh, it's a difficult it's a difficult um, balancing act to pull off. In fairness, you still want to you know pose a threat going forward while keeping the. Keeping the door shut at the back, but yeah, anyone's going to come under s- scrutiny. But I'd be very surprised if there was a managerial change there at, at all this season. There
2: has been a managerial change already at Birmingham City. You obviously have covered uh, the Midlands for for a long time over the course of your career. Who gets the Birmingham job, do you reckon?
6: Well, I'd like to see Luke Harsley given a chance. Um, he's a local boy. He's uh, wasted in the shadows for for a long time, um, and he's uh, he's currently got the he's currently got the job. Um, the problem is at Birmingham City that uh, nobody really knows who's running the show, um, and uh, quite frankly, it was a little bit chaotic in the final few days before Harry Redknapp um, uh, was given his cards. So, my um, my personal preference is for Lee Car- for, for Lee Carsley to be given the job. I think it's a good time for him to to do it. I think he's got a group of players there who eventually will um, will prove their worth. Um, and uh, and I'm pretty sure they'll start shooting at the table if he can if he can again. It's, you know they brought in 14 players during the summer, Sam. It's a, a massive turnover. And uh, Carsley himself says, you know, he's been on Whitegate trying to look look at uh, the strengths and weaknesses of uh, pretty much all the new recruits that, but you know, Redknapp and Jeff Vatier, the director of football, and David De- uh, Darren Dean, rather who, the agent who seems to have uh, a massive amounts of influence there at the moment, um, have brought to the club uh, over the summer. Um, but they weren't really-
2: fit, Mox. They weren't fit. He only had three of those players available for this final game in charge, and he had a week to work with them.
6: Well, the, well, the, there is that, mate, But um, I think you Well, find that's what that- he said, anyway. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But I think you, I think it's um, if you speak to people behind the scenes, it, it was a little bit chaotic, and I think that's putting it mildly. So um, you pay your money. Sam, and you take your choice. I like
2: Lee Carsley. He's a really good bloke. And um, I I spent a bit of time with him last year when he was in charge of the Manchester City uh, under-18 side. And he, he's a he's a very good coach. He's previously been in charge at Brentford in a caretaker um, capacity, uh, and he actually didn't live too far away from me. He, lives, he was sharing a flat with Kevin Kilbane in Didsbury not too yeah, long ago. Okay. Exactly. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, he 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 knows the cheese Hamlet in Didsbury, and anyone who knows <laughs> yeah, the well, cheese well, Hamlet the... in Didsbury gets a fist pump from you, me. Yeah, you want to just get
3: the cut cut price Gouda, don't you? That's what that's, that's what <laughs> oh, you're what
6: you're angry for. I mean, the Birmingham fans have already got a song about him, which has got an obvious flaw in it. It it rhymes with Carsley, but the other line is he's bald and forty-three, which has got you know I don't I don't see how they can sing that song for too much longer. But you know, bless them, they'll have a go for a bit. Uh,
2: Right, okay, and we have one more question for you, and this is the most important question that we're going to ask you over the course
3: of uh, the day. Are you a traditionalist when it comes to squad numbers? Sam's got a his bonnet about uh, Bonnie wearing number two. Does it does it rile you as it much as it does him?
6: Well, it, it causes us causes us uh, football hacks a problem, doesn't it? Because we can no longer refer to Newcastle's legendary number nine shirt. I mean, it could refer to anybody, couldn't it? That's the problem. Um, you know, you can't say um, Swansea City's legendary number two. And, and it, just, it, it just doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? Quite frankly, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit with Sam. I'd like to see. I'd like to see. Uh, you know. Uh, a uh, number 11 be a left winger a number 7 be a right winger a number 8 to be a midfield general or a striker but it's just not going to happen is it no. so we've got to go you're sounding old Sam I am old Yeah, you're let go, old that's, let that, go, old that's boy. the problem kid <laughs> cheers thanks Marks Take care, pal.
1: The Mirror Football Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes via the podcast app and get a fresh Mirror Football Podcast as soon as it lands. Well, it
2: has been a fortnight of controversial chants, but uh, is there any more controversial chant than this? He comes from sunny Spain. He's better than
3: Harry Kane. Alvaro. Well, there might not be any controversial, but there's a lot more that are correct than that because that's just plainly wrong isn't it
2: Mike Waters joins us for this section of the pod Uh, Chelsea Mike have not just switched out a brute for a beauty not just a guy who you would ban your daughter from seeing for one you would actively encourage her to marry as his boss suggested this week but also one top striker for another but I suppose the big question is is he really as good as Harry Kane
5: First of all, the big question is, uh, Sam, have you got much of a future in a singing career? um, There's there's no question there. Moving swiftly along. I'm no Clint Dempsey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Moving swiftly along. Uh, First of all, Morata's hat-trick at Stoke uh, at the weekend was top class. Uh, He could have had five or six. Uh, And uh, it's good to hear Chelsea fans have have modified their chanting worship of Morata from something slightly more contentious or controversial. Uh, is he better than Harry Kane? Uh, bit early to say that, really, isn't it? So far, Harry Kane has scored 105 goals for Tottenham, where Morata's scored six for Chelsea. Uh, the early signs in Morata's case are promising. Um, I like the look of him on Saturday. Um, and I think in the long term, in the long term, he will be a more than worthy replacement for Diego Costa, not least because I think he'll probably be available to Chelsea more often than Costa mm. was. Costa was a terrific striker, make no mistake, but he had this gift for starting arguments in an empty room, didn't he, and getting himself into trouble every now and then. I don't see Morata having that um, that part of Costa's makeup. up um, Time will tell whether he'll be uh, a better player than Costa. Time will tell whether he'll be a more prolific striker than Harry Kane. He's only 24 years old. Uh, the early signs are promising, but like I say, at the moment, Kane is 105 goals to six ahead of him in terms of just goals scored. So there's a, there's a long way to go.
3: He's an elegant footballer, isn't he, Murata? I will say that. I mean, Harry Kane's also no... A bull in a China shop. He's also got an, an immense amount of technical skill, but I would say that Murata is perhaps kinder on the eye sometimes. He's deceptively quick as well. I mean, he's got six
2: goals, he, he, but the goal he scored—the uh, the second goal that he scored at the weekend, where he, he ran from the halfway line and outpaced the Stoke defence, yeah. and then came up with a great finish—it was uh, it was sensational, wasn't it, Mike?
5: That was a look. It was a terrific finish. Um, I would temper. Uh, my uh, admiration of, of that goal, and uh, taking nothing away from Morata, um, say, saying he outpaced the rather tiring Darren Fletcher, who was um, <laughs> uh, been, uh, who had been who had been who was forced back to play in central defence for Stoke because they had they finished the game with no recognised yeah. centre halves, and mm. look, Darren Fletcher's a terrific player. I don't think pace would necessarily be his most outstanding virtue. Taking nothing away from the terrific dinked finish from a from a fairly unfavourable mm. angle. Um, I don't think Murata is the quickest striker you'll see. I don't think Harry Kane's the quickest striker you'll see. But what I think they what they what they do have is nice clean feet. I don't mean by that that they, they scrub them in the bath every night. I mean they're they're nice and tidy players. Mm. The ball, you know, if you play the ball up to them, the ball won't bounce off them. Uh, and I think um, uh, Murata's technical ability. Uh, Will win him goals where other strikers, you know, may need an extra touch.
2: Antonio Conte suggested uh, this week that he may well not be around for the long haul. He said that you know he's an Italian. He eventually wants to come back to Italy. Doesn't know how long he's going to be in um, the role at Chelsea. He says, you know, basically a, a football manager's job is is as a temporary worker now. It's, it's not something that you can see as a long-term position. Um, I don't think that's a real shock for anyone, uh, but ultimately, well, you know, should Chelsea be nervous about it?
5: No. Uh, show me a Chelsea manager who has been around a long time since Roma, Roman Abramovich came to the club, Sam. He's looked even even Mourinho... Not just Roman came to the club. I mean, Chelsea Ken Bates didn't keep them around for and and years, that long. Wasn't he? So, hmm. uh, <laughs> even Mourinho in his first incarnation at Chelsea was only around for three and a half years, I think, wasn't he? So, uh, so, no, I don't think anybody should be surprised by it. I don't think anybody should be particularly alarmed by it. Uh, There were one or two worrying um, drums on the jungle beat during the summer about whether Conte was going to stay this season, weren't there? But um, I think now he's started the season in charge, I'm pretty sure that unless results go badly wrong, and there's no reason to believe they will, uh, I'd be very surprised if Conte didn't at least see out this season. And and then let's see what Chelsea have won at the end of it. But an Italian says he misses Italy. You know, big deal. No surprise. (laughs)
2: I miss Italy too. Um, the most prolific combination this season, by the way, do you know what the most prolific combination is? It's not uh, Lukaku and Mkhitaryan. It's not uh, Jesus and Aguero. Ericsson, no? No, it's not even Ali or Ericsson and and, and Harry Kane. No. It is Cesar, Afpiliqueta and Alvaro Morata. In fact, Afbilikueta is the on- only the second player in Premier League history to provide four assists to the same teammate in the first six games of the Premier League season. Now, since 1998-99, when... Mikhail Beck
3: Mikhail Beck did it for Hamilton Ricard at Middlesbrough. That's a great stat. Even better than his haircut, and, yeah. he, but not quite as good as when you pronounce César Alaspelicueta. Can you do it again for me? César Alaspelicueta. That's brilliant.
2: That's research, that. <laughs> um, I know you were at Arsenal last night, weren't you, Mike? And um, they yep. were certainly the winners, but uh, Mad Bobby, as he would now be affectionately known, uh, for, for missing two penalties, a blatant dive. He had a night to forget and Tony Pulis was less than happy.
5: Yes, uh, Tony Pulis was uh, close to spontaneous combustion on, the, on in the technical area at one point last night. Uh, Arsenal were worthy winners in the end they dominated the second half uh, and West Brom can have no complaints about the result in the end but in the first half they were certainly shortchanged when Mustafi brought down Jay Rodriguez it was a blatant penalty I can't see how offering West Brom the advantage uh, was any advantage whatsoever uh, and it only rubbed salt in the wounds when um, uh, when West Brom were penalised at the other end when Johnny Evans brought down, I think it was Elneny just outside the box for a pretty similar challenge and Madley blew up straight away and awarded a free kick uh, from which uh, Alexis Sanchez uh, put the set-piece, well, in fact, Foster tipped uh, Alexis' shot against the bar and, and Lacazette headed Arsenal in front um, I thought West Brom were good in the first half last night. Uh, I I wasn't impressed with Arsenal. Um, And although Arsenal were much improved after the break, it just had the feel, uh, the whole occasion, the whole match, had the feel of Arsenal being on the fringe of the title race this year, Rather than being in the mainstream of it, rather than being right in the thick of it, I don't think they're going to be far away from the top four. But I'm pretty sure from what I saw last night, they're not going to win the title.
3: Encouraging though that they didn't hemorrhage three or four goals, which has been their their current form this season. Though a few
5: clean sheets in a row now, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, look, uh, it's early days, isn't it? I always think that um, um, I always think that the league table only really takes shape after about ten games, or when the clocks go back, as I call it. Um, I mean, at the moment, Watford are above Arsenal in the table. In fact, the league table at the moment has got six of the usual suspects in the, in the top seven, uh, plus Watford. I, I don't think Watford are going to stay there uh, for the duration of the season. Um, but I, I also don't think that Arsenal are going to climb significantly. I don't think Arsenal. I can't see Arsenal dislodging either City or United in the top two. Chelsea look like they're hitting their stride, and if Tottenham ever find a way to win a game at Wembley in the Premier League. They're going to take some stopping as well. I just think Arsenal are going to be on the fringes again rather than right in the thick of the title race.
2: Uh, Gareth Barry captained the West Brom side last night on what was his 633rd Premier League appearance. He eclipsed Ryan Giggs' record number uh, at the uh, Emirates. Um, what do you look back on his career? And uh, and think when you think of Gareth Barry because he's been around for a very long time. People sometimes forget that he's won a Premier League title and an FA Cup, and he, you know, at one yeah. stage was was very much a staple of the England team.
5: Yeah. Uh, look, six hundred and thirty three Premier League games is a fantastic achievement. Congratulations to Gareth Barry. Nice touch from Arsenal, by the way, to present him with a signed shirt with Barry six three three on the back after the game last night. Uh, but let's uh, let's not forget, uh, Sam. That um, football was not invented in 1992 when the Premier League came into existence. Uh, Funnily enough, that football was played before then. And controversial, days,
2: Mike. Controversial, Mike. Uh, Outrageous.
5: Controversial, but uh, uh, just just the facts, if you, if you don't mind. <laughs> um, in those days, Peter Shilton, a goalkeeper, admittedly, played a thousand league games, 849 of them, I think, in in the top flight. Wow. John Hollins played 714 games in the, in the in the in the old First Division. It's one for Chelsea, you. Uh, what Arthur a legend! as well. So uh, uh, so let's uh, let, let's put Barry's terrific achievement, terrific achievement, in context. He's not the first to play that number of games at that level. Brilliant! Those
2: achievement is. And um, there was a time actually when he was linked with Liverpool. He was expected to replace uh, Xabi Alonso. Um, you, as a Liverpool uh, fan, well, you would have welcomed that, wouldn't you?
3: Well, I I love Rafa, Rafa, but in hindsight, that is an aberration, isn't it? That is an absolute aberration when you've got Xabi Alonso and what he's gone on to achieve in the game, like countless World Cups, European he Championships, he replace League It's La a Liga. Fact. Liga. Yeah, Jamie Carragher said it. Yeah, it's an, it's an embarrassment, and it's uh it's it doesn't it doesn't look good for Rafa now. Let's put it like that. Uh,
2: what number? should he have worn? Gareth Barry would be a four or a six, right? <laughs>
5: um, I've given up trying to work out the logistics of uh, who wears what number. You're right, Wilfred Bonney, for some reason, wears number two at Swansea. Uh, I think Hal Robson-Carnu wore number four for West Brom last night. If oh, I, I know, that um, was
2: annoying as well. I couldn't stand that.
5: And, and I, 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 I have to say that I, I'm beginning to yearn for the days when football shirts were numbered one through eleven. And if... If you want to throw the opposition a flanker by playing number eleven at left back or 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 the number nine at right back, well, good luck to you. But um, but squad numbers are now becoming increasingly meaningless, uh, and it's pretty unhelpful to be fair.
2: They certainly did that before nineteen ninety two, (laughs) didn't they?
5: They certainly did that before nineteen ninety two. Mike, thank you very much. All the best to you.
2: The Mirror Football Podcast. I made a major error this week in terms of fantasy football.
3: Me too, but I'll hear about yours first. Come on.
2: Uh, I subbed out a raft of players and replaced them, hoping to use my wild card. But I forgot to press the wild card button. It's not immediately obvious. <laughs> it's not immediately obvious.
3: Just, well, by the press, press wild card button. that You got to press. Hey,
2: I lost sixteen points as a result of it. Fail. Major fail. Oh, wow. I selected Loris, Walker, Cedric Kalasenak, um, Bakayoko, Fellaini, who's now injured, uh, Salah, Dominic Calver, Lewin otherwise known as DCL. DCL. Um, That's going to be his rap name if he ever follows Clint (laughs) Dempsey's path. Um, Lukaku. And wait for it, my big money move, Gabriel Jesus, who they (sighs) left on the bench. Um, I made more mistakes than Swansea made for that Ricarlison goal. Um, it means I got well above average in actual points, but I then got them all docked um, this week. But you know, I think going forward in the future, it's a bright team, and I think I'm 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 going to get up the table a little bit more. But just just a little bit of advice, you know, if you are using your wild card, make sure you press the button. Uh, you know, it's it's there at the bottom of the screen. Big but button it, that says play wild it card It's not like that. It doesn't it doesn't do that. It said, well, you have to make all your transfers first, and then it says. Do you want to play your wild card? But you've already pressed oh,
3: I that screams to me that you made those transactions on the toilet. That's what that says to me. I was rushing. Yeah. Okay. Well I similarly had a wild card nightmare. I did remember to press the button, but my selections were awful. Jesus did not save me either. No. And Kevin De Bruyne decided to let Silva run the show again just in time for me to put him back in. So yeah, not a good week. I was well below average, even though I didn't get your minus points as no. well. Um no. But yeah, I'm in uh, something like 120th or something like that in the league, uh, which is not good. Our current leader has retained his lead, It's Stephen Hall, on, uh, on 420 points. What? After another impressive game week of 82 points, he's uh, starting to build a bit of a lead. You can keep up with our league by going to our Twitter page, at Stay On Your Feet. Remember, we've got that trophy for up for grabs for the end of the season.
1: Action, reaction, and the best columnist and analysis. This is... It's Mirror Football.
2: Other odd squad number choices. Gunnar Spark on Twitter says, Arsenal not having a number one really irks me. Something that John Crossmer yeah. uh, got in touch with. So that's something, that, as a Liverpool fan, you can relate to, not having a number one, right? Yeah, very good. Uh, John, Driscoll, who well, commenta- isn't. <laughs> John Driscoll, who commentates on La Liga and other things for Sky, said that at the 1982 World Cup, Trevor Brooking was assigned the number three shirt. Number three. Number three. Wow. Unbelievable. Uh, that's a theme, actually, because uh, I think a few people have mentioned this already. Mike Jones, Mark Welsh, a few people on Twitter as well, suggesting that Argentina's squad at the 82 World Cup were assigned shirts alphabetically. Um, so, therefore, our dealer's got the number one jersey, which is a bit weird. Uh, there was a guy. This is probably the worst example of any squad number that's ever been assigned. Um,
3: Zero alley. Who's that? Zero Alley Okay. at Aberdeen wore zero. He didn't? He did. Okay, well, I'm not a traditionalist, and I've already made the point today that I, I don't care what a number of players wear. If the player's good, and he should be good if he's a professional footballer, then wear whatever number that you like. But zero is beyond the power for me. That just invites criticism, well, surely.
2: You know, the Premier League actually stopped Renato Sanchez from wearing the number 95 jersey. Oh, really? They restricted him, yeah, and said he couldn't wear the number 95 why didn't they stop Wilfred Bonnie from wearing the number two why what was the reason I don't know a bit like most of the FA decisions there were no real explanations for <laughs> yeah, that true um, uh, I'm sure this debate will continue we'd like to uh, hear more of your stupid squad numbers on Twitter uh, at stay on your feet if you want to get in touch that's it from us this week uh, I'm off to do Manchester United in Moscow Everton at Goodison Park and then Chelsea Manchester City this weekend well
3: I'm busy week for you then it's a
2: huge weekend and it's massive games as well really looking forward to it
3: yeah I'm looking forward to the in the Champions League I think Spartak have got a few players out tonight so I'm fully expecting Liverpool to, to get the job done
2: when was the last time that Liverpool won away in the Champions League
3: November 2009
2: against Debrecen Debrecen yeah wow that was Start. a long time ago that yeah. I'm off to the uh, Trafford Centre now to get myself a black V-neck sweater to go over my white
3: round neck t-shirt think about it think about this it this is a pep thing
2: it is a pep thing yeah oh, did you no. see him at
3: the weekend he looked fantastic uh, is the injunction out already? Or is that coming? Is I think coming? it's coming.
2: I think it's certainly coming. I've got to stop getting so close to him just so I can analyse exactly what it is that... Uh is wearing uh, that's it from us uh, we'll be back next week normal time uh, on your all, all your different podcast outlets we're now on Spotify as Brilliant. well which is great which is really, I'm really pleased about that so we're on Spotify iTunes Audio Boom um, if you just want to go to our website and listen to it on there it's on the Mirror Football website as well uh, thanks to John Cross thanks to Neil Moxley uh, thanks to Mike Waters as well thanks to you I'll see you next week cheers see ya
1: tweet us your questions before every pod at stay on your feet the Mirror Football podcast. Subscribe on iTunes via the podcast app and get a fresh Mirror Football podcast as soon as it lands. Ook bewust bezig zijn met je mobiel? Dat kan al voor 11 euro per maand met Mijn SIM Only. Nu met 100 minuten of smsjes en 2500 MB 4G internet. Kijk op ben.nl. Ben.
3: Hi, it's Finn Dewar from the Irish History Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard MacLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the ACAST app, or wherever you get podcasts.